We are continuing our sermon series through Paul's letter to the Romans today, and we're, we'll be reading from Romans chapter 7, verses 15 through 25, but uh, that's found on page 918 in your pew Bible, but before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Romans chapter 7, beginning with verse 15. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing that I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now I do what I do not want. It is no longer I that do it, but the sin that dwells within me. So I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So we have entered the travel season for our children and youth in our church. Our children from Passport just got back this past just a couple of days ago. They went up to Montreat and have come back. There are some students who are leaving, I think, today, in fact, and going to Dogwood Acres. And then next week, there's a group that are going to the middle school Montreat uh, conference. And then after that is the high school Montreat conference. We're traveling all over the place over the next few days, and they'll be having all kinds of different experiences. But at least in my experience, all of those groups will try to finish each day in the same way, wherever they go, whatever they do. Our little group from Faith will gather together in a small group at night, and usually they go around the room and they share highs and lows. I don't know if you've ever done this before. Each person in the group will have an opportunity to share a high point in the day, of something joyful that happened to them during the day, and then they will also get the chance to share a low point in the day, a moment in the day that was not really a happy time for them during the day. We not only do this at camps, but we do this here at church, and I know some families that actually do this around their dinner table. Julianne and I were eating with uh, Mary and Sheldon Steen not too long ago, and they went through this litany before we could have dinner at their house of, of going to each child and asking them to share a joy, a junk, and a Jesus. Joy being the happy time in their day, the junk being the junky time in their day, and then Jesus being the moment where they experienced God in that day. 
Well, this is actually not just something we do with children, but this is actually a spiritual discipline, a spiritual practice that has been passed down from generations. Uh, St. Ignatius of Loyola, in fact, developed this this daily uh, examine that we call it, where we get to the end of each day and we ask ourselves some very pointed questions about the day, asking ourselves questions to help us open our eyes and see how God has been active and present in our lives all throughout the day. But the the questions that St. Ignatius wanted us to ask ourselves are a little bit more troublesome than highs and lows. One of the questions that St. Ignatius wanted us to ask ourselves is, in my thoughts, words, and deeds today, when did I move closer to God and when did I move further away? In my thoughts, words, and deeds today, when did I move further away from God? If we ask ourselves that question at the end of this day or at the end of any day, we could probably think back to times in our day or in our week that we wish we could have a do-over. We wish we could try again. We wish we could go back in time and change them because clearly there were moments when we did not do what God wanted us to do. If you have ever felt that way, You are not alone. Your pastor feels that way nearly every day. But the good news for all of us is that in our passage to the Romans this morning, Paul tells the Romans that he feels exactly the same way. There are moments in his day where he moves further away from God. Now, as I told you last week, Paul's letter to the Romans is a little bit different than the other letters. He was the founding father of most of those other churches and those other letters, and he often in those other letters describes struggles that they're going to have, especially with people outside of the congregation, people who are persecuting them for being Christians. Sometimes he talks about struggles within the congregation, relationship troubles that people are having within the congregation. But here in Romans, he talks about something different. It's not just the struggle out there or even the struggle right here. He talks about the struggle right here. The struggle we all have within ourselves. That struggle between moving closer to God and moving away from God. That struggle between doing the right thing and doing the wrong thing. It's his way of explaining to the Romans his understanding of sinfulness. The doctrine of sin and and how we get trapped within it and can't escape it on our own. It's his way of trying to explain to the Romans that even though we know the right thing to do, we often do the wrong thing. For example, we know what Jesus taught us in the Gospels, and yet even though we know what Jesus taught us, there are times in our lives where we all do the exact opposite. We know that Jesus told Peter, you're supposed to forgive people 70 times, 7 times. But even though we know Jesus taught us to forgive Man, it feels good to hold a grudge sometimes. It feels good to get revenge. That's what we'd rather do. We know that Jesus said, don't let the sun go down on your anger. But goodness, there are times when our kids just keep making mistakes and instead of showing compassion, we lose our temper. There are times when Jesus said, you know, treat your body like a temple. But we know there are times when we go out on the weekends and we just overdo it. We don't treat our body like a temple at all. We know that Jesus said, judge not lest ye be judged. But goodness, have you seen Facebook? Have you seen Twitter? Do you know who these people are voting for? Of course we're judging people. It's in our nature. 
We know exactly what Jesus Christ calls us to do, and we do the exact opposite thing. But here is what is so powerful about the way Paul describes this doctrine of sin. He doesn't do it the way I'm doing it now. He doesn't preach to the people, at the people. You all need to change. Instead, here in the seventh chapter of Romans, Paul confesses his own sin. He speaks in the first person and says, this is something I keep doing. I know what I'm supposed to do, and I do the wrong thing. I know who God wants me to be, and I keep doing the wrong thing. This is the way Eugene Peterson says it in the message. He says, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it, but I can't do it. I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. My decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. Paul confesses to us his own sins. And there is something powerful about confession. I don't know about you, but maybe as a Presbyterian, I don't really enjoy confession too much. I'm glad that we do corporate confessions Why I don't have to stand up here and tell you the really exact things that I'm not proud of. I grew up in a church where we focused on grace, we focused on love, we focused on kindness, and maybe somewhere along the line lost the power of confession. But I have learned that the true power of confession is that when we learn a little bit more about ourselves, become more self-aware of who we are, then it really, truly opens our mind to who God is. When we understand how deeply we need God, it opens up our eyes to how far God has come to reach us. I remember years ago working at the Metro State Prison. I was a chaplain intern there trying to get through my requirements for the presbytery. And I went to orientation the first day, and I remember Chaplain Irma Bishop. She had been there for 25 years, and in the orientation, she said, one of the first things you all need to learn is you're going to have to take confession. You're going to have to help these people here in prison understand what they did wrong. And I heard my Sunday school class coming out in me. I said, no, no, that's not what we Presbyterians do. We share grace. We share love. After all, they're, they're, being, they're already in prison. They're already being punished. Why can't I just tell them God loves them? And she stopped me and said, Brad, how will they ever know how much God loves them if they don't understand how far God has come to reach them? She didn't intend for them to wallow in their guilt. She wanted them to dive headlong into God's compassion. See, that's the power of confession. Confession leads to compassion. When we confess our sins and open ourselves up to God, we, for the first time, realize how much compassion God has for us as human beings. And when we feel that compassion from God, then maybe for the first time in our lives, we have the opportunity to authentically share that compassion with other people. Those other people out there in the world who have hurt us. Those other people out there in the world we are called to forgive. Those other people out there in the world that we are called to help, those people in need, we only help them authentically when we first realize how many times 
we have needed help. How many times we have needed forgiveness. How many times God has shown us love when we have not deserved it. There's a little parable that Corey Ten Boom, the Dutch reformer, likes to tell. It's a story about going over to some friend's house, the, some friends of hers, the Lowells, who had invited her over for dinner, and they had little children, three little girls, in fact. They were kind of like, she was kind of like a grandmother to them, and every time she went over, she liked to bring a little prize or, or a little gift for them, and sure enough, she came over for dinner this night. She said, girls, gather around. I've got something for you. She reached down into her purse, and she pulled out what looked to be a mess, a mess of string and of thread, a mess that looked like a bird's nest. It looked like a, a, the bottom of a sewing drawer with all these threads all intertangled and, and mingled together. And the girls looked at it and thought, what is that? But she flipped it over, and on the other side was this beautiful, beautiful weaving, this beautiful cross that had been stitched into this beautiful piece of fabric. And she said, girls, most of the time we look at the mess in other people and only want people to see the beautiful parts of us. But God, God sees both sides. God sees our messy parts and our beautiful parts. And God loves us all the same. And we will be transformed when we stop trying to see just the mess in others. But try to see others through God's eyes, through that compassion through that same care, through that same love that God shares with us. Then and only then will we have the compassion to forgive those people who are just as messy as we are. Those people who are just as in need as we are. You see, that's the power of confession. Confession leads to compassion. And compassion, it leads us to forgiveness. And forgiveness is what we're all about. Mercy is what we're all about because forgiveness above all else is what leads us to peace. You may wonder why we pass the peace every single Sunday morning. It's not just because we're trying to give you a chance to talk in the middle of worship, although that's what you all take it for a lot of times. <laughs> the passing of the peace always follows the confession. We confess our sins. We receive God's compassion and forgiveness. And then we can be at peace. This past week I've been reading a little book, or rereading a little book by Desmond Tutu. It's called The Book of Forgiving. He says in the book that in his own language, the language that he grew up speaking, when you ask someone for forgiveness, the literal translation is, may there be peace between you and me. That's the literal translation. It's may there be peace between you and me. When you forgive someone, you're trying to offer them peace from the pain and the suffering that they have been through. The pain and the suffering in their, of their guilt and the pain and suffering you've experienced in your own life. In the book, he shares this wonderful little story about watching this television show in Northern Ireland. It was actually a documentary called Turning Point back in 2006. And in the documentary, there were a group of people who had been victims of crimes all throughout the troubles of sectarian violence, people who had lost their homes, people who had lost members of their family, people who had been through such pain and suffering. And those people got the opportunity to look across a room at the people who had caused that violence. 
People who had been convicted. People who had been thrown in prison. People who had, had faced, uh, faced the conviction of their crimes. What Desmond Tutu thought was so amazing about this is these people who had been convicted of these crimes had absolutely no benefit from being there. They weren't being paid. They couldn't have their sentences commuted. They couldn't get amnesty. None of that was available to them. But when they were asked, so why did you come and face this pain and suffering from the people that you hurt? Why did you come and apologize to them? And one by one, they all said, for peace. To give them peace. To give me peace. So that our country can have peace. Compassion comes from confession. Confession leads to compassion, and compassion leads to forgiveness. And forgiveness gives us healing and peace. Revenge can't do it. Holding a grudge can't do it. Getting even can't do it. Only Forgiveness gives us the healing that we need to have peace. It's tonight. You're going to lay your head on your pillow, and maybe you'll take a moment and you'll ask yourself a few of those questions, your highs and your lows from the day. Maybe some of you will ask some of those troublesome questions too. In my thoughts and my words and my deeds today, what are the things that I did that led me further away from God? When you ask yourself that question, I hope compassion speeds to your heart. That you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that whatever you did that you wish you could change, God loves you with an unimaginable love. And maybe that will give you some compassion to forgive those other people that you have been holding a grudge for for so very long. And maybe then, you can sleep peacefully to the glory of God. Amen.